0: Thanks for joining the Behind the Lens podcast. My name's Ed Diller. I'm here with uh, professional photographer Alex Menendez out of Orlando, Florida. Um, Alex is a photographer, um, like I said, down in Orlando. Does uh, contributor work for AP, Getty. Um, also does stringer work for them. Um, we're just going to talk about some of the stuff that you know photographers go through during you know the sporting events and any other type of event that most people don't even know about because the final product is a picture in the paper, a picture on the website. And we're going to talk about how it gets to that point And some of the stuff that Alex has gone through, um, and his life within the last couple of years, which have been, you know, pretty dramatic. Uh, Alex, you want to introduce yourself? Say hello.
1: Hey everybody. How you doing? I'm Alex Menendez. Um, live in Orlando. I've uh, been shooting since 1990 professionally. And, um, like I said, I'm a stringer for AP, for Getty, for Rex Features, and for some other wire services, as well as corporate clients and uh, other sporting events.
0: Um, you do a lot of boxing photography, um, and you've been all over the place. I know you've been up to the Boxing Hall of Fame. Um, let's start up there. Um, I'll put up some pictures. We'll talk about them. Um, okay. Tell Tell yeah. us how you got them. Your thoughts about it, and, and you know, do that.
1: Okay. Um, yeah, I was actually raised in Canastota, New York, which is now where the International Boxing Hall of Fame presides. So it was really cool to have them get that. About 30 years ago, they started the International Boxing Hall of Fame. And um, when I was 18, I started fighting. I started boxing for, fought for a couple of years, and then I got out of it. And then about five years ago, I got back into it. Maybe a little bit less than that, but got back into it. Um, always been a sports photographer. Always been a sports fan, and I've always followed the sport of boxing. And I think it was about nine years ago, I started uh, attending the International Boxing Hall of Fame Inductions and with Ed um, Brophy, who runs it, and a, another guy named Jeff. They uh, gave me some credentials and they allowed me to shoot. And I was, I was covering the events and the inductions and the parades and all that sort of stuff. Uh, it was about a three-day event. And um, just started covering them. And it was really interesting because I got to meet really famous people, uh, the top boxers in the world, and it was in the town that I grew up in. So it, it just made it all that much more memorable.
0: Yeah. Um, here's a uh, photo we have from, from the parade. Um, I believe that's Vladimir Klitschko?
1: Yeah, Vladimir Klitschko. Is Vital- uh, his brother, they're, twin- they're not twins, but they're, they're two famous uh, boxers from Ukraine. And he's now the mayor of a town in Ukraine. And um, his brother's getting inducted this year. So the both, both of them are going to be in it, but yeah, these are, these are heavyweights and every year they do, they do a parade right through the town. It's about a mile and a half long parade and people come from all over New York to, to watch this. It's, it's an old school parade. I mean, you get to sit on the streets. Um, Everybody's friendly. Everybody's joyous. You hear nothing but laughs. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Yeah.
0: I don't know if anybody's been to the boxing hall of fame. Um, You'll be, really surprised at the size of the place i I know i was my first time there um i'm expecting to pull up to a building that's the size of you know a bj's or a walmart with with the boxing history you know over the years you would expect this massive building that you're going to walk into and basically it's 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 almost like someone's home that you go into i mean the, the layout is like somebody's house um, and it's that small. I mean, it's not a very big building at all. But you would think the International Boxing Hall of Fame is this big, massive building, which it's just
1: – it's not. Well, it's, it's pretty interesting. What happens is they induct, I would say, maybe a dozen people every year. Um, and they, I believe they send out 100 to 100 press writers from boxing. They send out a ballot. And those, those 100 people are sp- supposed to pick from the ballot – like five major people that they want inducted. So it's a really, it's kind of a long and tedious process and it's, it's pretty interesting how they do it. But when everybody comes together, you have people come in from England, from Australia, from Japan. I mean, that weekend in Canastota is sold out and everybody, everybody heads up to turning stone to stay there in town because there's no, there's only one hotel in Canastota and there's one McDonald's and one Dunkin' Donuts. I mean, it's a really small town. And like you said, the boxing hall of fame is not this big, massive mega structure, but, the stuff they have in there is irreplaceable. It's unbelievable. Um, Jeff, who works there, took me downstairs one year, and there's like a basement in this building. And the magazine, every every single issue of Ring magazine is down there. Uh, personal, personal robes, personal belts. Um, there's a lot of history there. A lot of stuff there, but it's it's hard to display it all because that place runs off of donations for the most part. They don't charge an arm and a leg to get in there. And Ed Brophy's doing his best with what he's got, but I mean, he's got a good thing going and it's still an honor. It's like the pinnacle of somebody's career to get inducted and to, to, to get into that place and get your ring. Um, I'm fortunate enough to say that I've got two photos hanging on the wall. And for me, that's just like being inducted. If I've got two big photos on the wall, I feel like I've made it too.
0: Absolutely. Um, That's, that's, that's just an honor to have a photo on the wall or someplace like that. Yeah. Um, Let's go through some of the other photos we have here. Here's uh, Deontay Wilder at the uh, Barclay Center from a, a fight that we actually both shot.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that was a good fight. That was against um, Louis Ortiz, I believe. Yes. Yeah, um, that's when you were shooting for DeBella, doing some stuff, when he was doing some big shows. And um, I think I have photos of you, actually, before I get into this fight. I think I have photos of you ringside jumping up on stage or right on the apron after he uh, – after he won. So that brings back some really good memories, but yeah, Deontay Wilder, he's, he's, he's a big fighter. He's a big man and I've known him for years. I've got some photos of him hanging out with my boys when they were, I think six and seven. Um, a really nice guy. Um, bomb squad is his, he screams this, this bomb squad thing. Um, he's a, he's an awkward fighter, but he's, 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 he's pretty cool. Um, we did some behind the scenes stuff with him when he was getting his hands wrapped and he was getting warmed up before this fight. And that's, I think that's what this shot is from. And, uh, it's, it's really great when these big boxers allow you access. Not a lot of people get to go into the locker rooms and you're not in there very long. You don't talk to them. You, you hardly make eye contact just enough to, you know, you make it eye contact with them to say, okay, I'm going to take your photo or is that okay? And they'll give you a little head nod and then he'll keep wearing his headphones and listening to his music or whatever. And, you get in, get out. Um, but it, I think it's, it's a privilege to be able to do that. And, you know, I know you do it as well. And we've got thousands of pictures that people are never going to see, but for us, they're kind of personal memories. And it's, it's really cool to say that we were, you know, in their graces, if you would.
0: Yeah. I remember, I remember the fight. I think it was, I think it was your first big fight um, that we did at the Barclays center. And no. I, I, I remember when you, when we went down the elevator And we got to the, to the main floor,
1: dude. And you you
0: looked at this big circle of diamond plate on the floor. And you asked me, you know, what, what the hell, what the heck is this?
1: They have a turnstile in the bottom of the Barclays Center. You drive into this gated thing. You come around the building with the fighters and you drive into this gated thing through security and they check you out. Say, do you have your pass? And then you get into this elevator and it's a semi-truck elevator. And they take these semi-trucks down. You pull in. They take the semi down like five stories and then when you're down there it's like i can't even describe it it's just a bunch of docks a loading docks and they actually rotate the whole semi truck to whichever dock it needs to be in and then they back it up and that's how they move stuff in and out of that center and that was the first time i've seen anything like that it was amazing i've i've shot in vegas a lot um i've shot you know other places in new york but that place was incredible and yeah it did blow my mind a little bit
0: um, yeah, it's pretty cool to see something like that. I was amazed at it when I first saw it myself. Um, here's a, another shot from the Barclay Center.
1: Okay, yeah, that's probably uh looks like one of the Charlo boys. Yeah, Jamel. Um, I think it was the same night. We've done a couple shows together and I do appreciate the access, but yeah, this was for um for Showtime Boxing. They they had a pretty big show going on. This is back pre-COVID days. So, I mean, it used to fit 16, 18, 20,000 people into this. And there is absolutely nothing like a pro fight, especially if it's a good pro fight. And if you've got a local uh, you know, hometown fighter fighting like the Charlo brothers, th- this place was just amazing. The energy is electric. The lights are flying all over the place. The announcer. You've got ring girls, which are hooting and hollering everybody up. So it, w- it was just a crazy scene. If you look in the very between us and the ring, you can see all the media, all the little televisions there. Um, it's, it's a spectacle. These shows are something that you have to, you have to see them in person and then to shoot, to shoot it is even more spectacular. And then, you know, I didn't shoot this one ringside on the apron like you did, but when you're there, why don't you tell me, how do you feel when you're shooting on the apron Ed?
0: Uh, oh, it's amazing. Um, you, you know, 30,000 people, I, I think, I forget what the record sellout was for, uh, the Barclays Center. But 30, 35,000 people, and they're only four feet away from you, you know, the, the metal railings around the ring. And it's just your adrenaline, especially the main events come out, you know, co-main event, main event, and the atmosphere in there is just absolutely amazing. There's so many people and they're screaming at the top of their lungs when these people come out, you know, to, to the boxing ring. Um, you don't see that on TV. You don't hear that on TV because they have, you know, the microphones are are you know, turned down for the announcers that the atmosphere is not as loud as, as, you know, that's turned down as well. Those microphones.
1: It's, it's deafening. It's deafening. And then, and then when you, because you're four feet away from them, like you said, you hear the referee, you hear the boxers yelling at each other, calling each other names. You hear the thud of the gloves when they hit them in the, in the ribs. It's just, it's, it's a totally different world. And then when you get in the zone, you know, trying to, you're trying to get the best shot. it's, I don't know. I just I wish everybody could experience it once.
0: Yeah, it's, it's absolutely amazing. I mean, when these guys hit each other and I don't know if anybody realizes how hard these guys hit. But the average human being to get hit like that with an eight ounce, 12 ounce, whatever they are um, on their hand, it's it, it, it's absolute destruction. And you, when these guys hit each other, you know, they hit, they hit them in the body. Like Alex said, you hear that thud. You can actually hear the air leaving the lungs when when they get hit. I mean, it's it's you're that close that, you know, you're also that close when they do get hit in front of you that you get covered in sweat and blood and oh, you and got yeah. I, mean, I can't tell you how many
1: times I've I've not wanted to, to to leave my computer in the media room, so I take my laptop out and put it underneath the ring. And every time I pull that thing out, it's like covered in just grime. It's it's kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. You're, that, you're, you're, 're almost part of the. you're almost part of the fight
0: yeah kind of I mean that's the part I could do without though personally but it, yeah. you know um, yeah. let's move along we got uh you got one here Floyd May- mayweather during one of his workouts
1: yeah this was um when this was either the first or second fight when he was fighting uh chino Madonna Marcos Madonna and um, this was the media day prior to the fight and um I can't remember who I was out there with but I was out there and I went to the gym and I'd been to gyms before where they have media workouts in Florida and Orlando, and you might get 30, 40, 50 people. They had a virtual tent in the parking lot. Now, Floyd's gym, the TMT gym, is in a, it's in a parking lot in Las Vegas in, like, this Chinese-looking uh, strip mall. It's kind of weird. It's not what you'd expect. But he has he runs he has total control of that parking lot, and, the, you know, everybody knew he was coming. Um, they put up a tent, and then you, you almost had, like, a VIP air to it just to show up with your camera. You know, Kelly Swanson was doing his media, and uh, she would like check you in and then you would go sit at this little tent outside. and then if you wanted to, you'd go inside. But when you go into Floyd's gym there's a there's a front room that's like a just a black tinted window room with a couple of black leather couches. And then you actually go into the gym. And when you go into the gym, he's got two or three, I think he's got three rings set up side by side, and there must have been 500 people in there. And I know you work for the fire you used to work for the fire department at you guys would have shut him down in an instant. There's no way that many people can fit in there. (laughs) But uh, when I shot this photo, he was warming up with Roger Mayweather. He was hitting, he was hitting pads and it, this picture doesn't really show it when you're sitting on the, when you're standing on the apron outside of these ropes, you've got like a one foot area to stand on. And there were people trying to line up two or three deep, hang onto the ropes. And it was just, it was crazy, but he puts on a good show. He's um, he knows what he's doing. He's a very smart businessman and, this shot, um, I, I shot a bunch of him this day, and I, I sold a lot of these shots. I can't remember where they went, but I, I remember seeing ten or twenty different magazine articles with with all these photos.
0: Yeah, here's one of uh, your local gym, I believe, down in
1: Orlando. This is Lopez Boxing Gym in Orlando. Um, Alex Lopez owns it. He's on it for years. He's, um, he's a really good trainer. He's a cut man. He's a trainer. He's a mentor. And um, these are two two guys that are working out there now. The one on the left, his name is Josiah Kidd-Shirley. Um, he's going to have his pro debut um, in about a month from here in Orlando. Um, the other guy is John Carlos Rivera. Um, they call him Chapito. He's fought on ESPN a couple times. He's fought on, um, I think, HBO once. I'm not sure. But he's uh, he's taken some time off. He had, a, he had a loss, and now he's coming back. So he's training. He's, he's also fighting in a month. So, But, yeah, it's really cool because – I've been to hundreds of gyms, much like you have, and it's pretty cool to see some of these people that are that are coming up and are going to be going pro. And it's really interesting because there's so many different styles and every fighter is different. And if you start to learn a certain style of, of certain people, it helps you as a photographer when you're going in to cover their event or cover their fight, because you know, their quirks, you know, their, you know how they stand, you know how they faint. Um, and it's pretty interesting. Um, I've, I I don't know if you know Lester Silva you remember Lester he took me up to a gym up in New York churches Church Street gym or something and there were some pros up there and everybody was really cool and it was kind of a different style believe it or not I mean boxing is boxing is what most people think but there's there's Cuban style there's Mexican style there's American style um, there's Philadelphia style and recently there's been like the Eastern European style the Lomachenko's those type of people and Everybody's just a little bit different. And if you can see what that particular fighter does before you actually get to shoot him in the event, it helps you out as a photographer and it makes you get some spectacular photos.
0: Yeah. And then it was, uh, I think you dipped your toe in the ring here for um, back, in, oh, back in 2018. Uh, I um, knew you were going
1: to 2019. It was, or 2018, it was, 2018 I think. 2019, No, 2019. 2019, okay. No, no. Actually, it was 2018. You're right. Yeah, it was 2018.
0: Um, I think it was... Di- probably around thanksgiving i I know it was mid-november or whatever but um it's
1: to me aren't you
0: (laughs) um you decided you were gonna enter an amateur tournament and i remember the first day we were there i I actually came down to orlando just to watch this (laughs) fight it's the first ever amateur fight that i traveled to come down to 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 watch and it was Um, the
1: best fight you've ever seen in your life
0: yeah 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 um you decided to enter the sugar Bert tournament and, you know, got into the master's division.
1: Correct. Um,
0: and I remember the first day we were there Le- again, Lester Silva was with us and
1: Damon Gonzalez was there
0: too. Yeah, Damon was there. And it was funny because we watched the, um, we watched your face the whole first day. You were as nervous as absolutely could be because first off they were taking your blood pressure, at, you know, seven o'clock, eight o'clock in the morning. And then they're doing it at nine o'clock and then they're doing it at twelve o'clock. And you're not even sure if you had a fight yet, because the other guy you were fight were supposed to fight originally supposed to fight was having issues with his blood pressure. So they weren't sure they were gonna get you a fight. So I think it was seven o'clock at night. So when they fight, six when they in
1: fight. the morning until eight o'clock at night, they called it and I said yeah. he's not gonna be able to fight. You have a walkover, which means I automatically went yep. into the final round.
0: Yeah. So um it was and it was great because the uh I'll put the photo up here for you. You know, here's one of the photos of your fight. You're on the right here. And uh I I was impressed. I mean, we were all impressed. Me, myself and Lester were at the ringside taking photos, and we were kind of looking at each other, besides laughing at you as well. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm used to that. You know, I mean I think Lester was supposed to fight as well, but he bailed out
1: and he Sorry, Lester.
0: Just to watch you get in there and, and, and do your thing. Uh, it was absolutely great.
1: I'd been training. I was up to about 180 pounds at one point. And I'm, you got to remind remember, I was 50 years old at this time. So I'm in the master's division. And when, they, when you go to the master's division, they make you take a stress test on a treadmill. You have to – there's just a whole bunch of stuff you have to do before you're allowed to get your book. And what happens is they – USA Boxing gives you a book, and it's good for one year. So it'll, it allows you to fight. So you have your book. You have to present it before you fight. So I. Decided I would enter this contest and uh, fight it in the 168 division. So I got my weight down after about five months of training. I got down to 167 pounds. I was going to fight 168. Well, something happened there, and I wasn't able to do it. They didn't have enough people, or there was too many people, and I was the odd man out. So the next division was, I think, 178, and then the next division was 185 or something. And the guy that I fought was, you could tell he's a lot bigger than me, so he came down a division to fight, and I actually moved up to his division. So I went up one. He came down one. And um, I didn't know the guy from Adam, but he cornered me in the in the elevator on the way down. I was with the boys. We were coming down in the morning the day of the fight. He goes, are you Alex? And I'm like, yes, sir. He goes, "Ah, all right. And he's kind of sizing me up.
0: <laughs>
1: I mean, What's up? He goes, yeah, we, we're fighting later. I'm like, oh, look forward to it, man. I wasn't scared. I was whatever. So uh, come out. Um, Derek Santos, who's a coach down in Miami, and his brother, uh, they wrapped my hands and gave me some pep talk. I didn't have a coach with me. And uh, just walked out. And they only had one pair of gloves. They had one one red glove, one pair of red gloves, and one pair of the blue gloves. And the Masters all fought. The first fight, then the next fight, and then my fight. So I'm sitting here waiting with my hands wrapped, not even warmed up. Uh, came out and had a really good time, and I won. And... You guys were there taking some pretty awesome photos, which I appreciate. And um, I got a green belt; I got the strap. So, yeah, I'll
0: put that I'm done. here,
1: uh, I'm done. And the whole reason I was started to do this, the whole reason I was started to fight, was I wanted to win the Masters tournament at Gleason's up in um, New York City, which you you took me to Gleason. You t- you showed me all about that. Yeah, and um, I was really interested in in, in fighting again.
0: We actually trade with uh, Heather Hardy, you and the Heather boys. Right?
1: And the boys up there, and we trade with Heather and Devin, and yeah. uh, it was it was pretty awesome. I mean, you hooked us up pretty good, so I appreciate that. Thanks, Zane, man. No problem.
0: There's uh there's your photo with your boys after you got your uh your championship belt.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah the boys, uh, they were they they both fought too, and then they've given it up. Uh, the one on the left, Blaze, my older one, he's into cars now, and Zane, the in the pinkish shirt, he's into crew, so he's. He's rowing every single day on the water. But uh, I'm glad that they were there, and I'm glad they got to see it. And I'm glad you guys got to come down. That was pretty awesome. So thank
0: I'm glad, you. I'm glad you got to do this because um, it was, well, a year later. You got four some pretty months. bad.
1: Four got, months later.
0: Four months later. You got some pretty bad news. Yeah. Like um, um, they, they diagnosed you with a, uh, a tumor.
1: If you look on this photo, it's hard to tell on my nose, but there's like a cyst type thing on my nose. It's not from where I got hit. It's just a red spot on the nose. And it was, like a, it was like a size of an M&M. And um, I went and got it looked at by a doctor and they said, yeah, you've got something going on. We're not sure what it is. So normally we would just carve it out or scoop it out, but we're not sure how deep it is, if we gotta go all the way through your nose or what. So they sent me for an MRI to see how deep it was, if it was attached to the cartilage or not. And um, a week later I hadn't heard anything. So I called the doctor's office and he says, yeah, you got more than uh, a cyst to worry about. You've got a brain tumor. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? And uh, turns out that I had a, about a golf ball-sized brain tumor behind my right eye, which was my shooting eye. So uh, life changed drastically after that.
0: Yeah. Um, you had your surgery.
1: Um, yeah. About five or six months later, I think it was. Um, I think I got di- diagnosed in March. So it was July 1st. I had a, almost a six-hour surgery where they caught me right about here all the way down to my neck and inserted stuff, did whatever they did and tried to get the tumor out. Um, I wouldn't stop bleeding after about five hours. So they decided to stop the the surgery and stop the bleeding first. So they weren't able to get the the entire tumor out. So I recovered slowly, tried to recover, still recovering. Um, I was on a walker, I went to, I was on a walker for about a month and then I was on a cane and then um, when I started to feel sort of right, I'll never be right. But when I started to feel sort of right, the doctor said, "Okay, we got to figure out what we're, what we're going to do with the rest of this tumor because we don't want it to grow." So, the, the photo that you're showing now is um, is a gamma knife surgery, and it's like a it's like radiation, from what I understand. You know how you put like a piece of food in a microwave and you hit one minute and it just attacks it. This machine, this device here, is a it's a helmet that they actually screwed in to my head. They gave me numbing shots, screwed it in, put this on, and then they hooked my head to the table and I wasn't able to move, I'm totally locked in. And what they do is they use this graph to figure out exactly where the tumor's at. And then they take me off the machine, program the computer, and then an hour later, still wearing this device, they put me back in the machine and then they they cook my head like a baked potato. I was in there for about 45 minutes awake. And um, they did that. And a couple of months later, I went back and had another MRI to see if the tumor was gone and it didn't really affect it very much. I think it went down about 10%. So I'm still living with it. Um, so having a little bit of issues, I have headaches, uh, I have blurry vision and then I get dizzy still. That's, that's like the gist of it. There's more, but that's pretty much it. So yeah. how's, having, that, uh,
0: how's that affected your photography? Um,
1: man, it's, um, uh, I used to, you know, I've, shoot, I've shot Super Bowls. I've shot World Series. I've shot all the big events all across the world. I've shot not just boxing. And, you know, when, you, when you're when you a freelancer like me, you hustle. you got to hustle. you got a 400-millimeter lens, which is two and a half feet long. You've got another lens around here. You've got a fanny pack, a belt, strap, and you've got to run. I mean, if there's a touchdown, if there's an interception and you're on this end of the football field, you've got to boogie it on down to that end of the field. So you, you put on eight, 10, 12 miles in a game. And, um, since this has happened, I've, I've stopped running as much. Um, I've shoot a lot of soccer where i just sit on a stool. I'll just sit, sit in one place and shoot the whole game from there. Um, the boxing, it used to be, I would lean forward up on the apron, you know, on my elbows, I'd stand the whole time. And now it's like you have to have a seat and you can shoot through the ropes, which is not ideal. Um, you know, I, it's just, it's limited me a, a lot. Uh, luckily, I have autofocus. So a lot of times I use autofocus now. I used to have manually focus a lot when I was following something, a subject. Now it's just push a button in the back and hope for the best. Even then, um, if I'm looking through the viewfinder at the at the shot, I can't adjust my diopter. Some days I can't, nothing is in focus, no matter what I do. The shot's in focus, but I just can't get my eyes to focus. Wow.
0: So
1: there's, you know, it's, got its disadvantages when you get a headache. I was at a UCF basketball game a couple weeks ago, and they've got us, because of COVID, they've got us sitting up high in the corner. I was actually an NBA basketball game. It was the Magic against Charlotte. And there was a light way high in the ceiling that was aiming right at me the whole time. I didn't have a baseball hat because I was already up on the fourth floor shooting down with the 400. And that light coming into my eye the whole game gave me, I had a headache for two days. Mm and It's just crazy stuff but you just do your best with what you can do and i'm not letting it keep me down i keep working out i keep trying to recover i keep trying to to you know get back to where i was so i'll be there someday
0: yeah you mentioned the covid um i know that you know boxing in new york um since march of last year has you know shut down completely yeah. um, i know florida is open for business they've been open for business for a while yeah Um, there's a lot of you know basketball going on there's soccer happening there's boxing going on um you know what's it like shooting now with you know the covid restrictions and stuff like that i'm going to put up one of the photos that you did of the uh kennedy Golovkin fight
1: um yeah this was a triple g fought a couple months ago and um i want to thank ed mohan for the access um Yeah, this was a limited event show. There's no fans. The only people there are the commission, the judges, and the boxers, you know, tenders. And a magnificent show. This was at the Hard Rock in Miami, which is almost like a movie theater. It's like a a concert theater. It's not an arena. It's just a theater. And they came in and did this show, but it was, man, you want to talk about weird, you know, fake fake crowd noise. Um, You can actually hear the fighters. You can actually hear the thumping actually i think the thing i remember the most of this was the stomping of the feet on the wood when they when they bounce on that mat it's just a thud 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 thud, thud. um but yeah everybody in that photo was wearing a uh, face masks. they had face shields They weren't gloves um you have to get tested you have to quarantine they're in a bubble basically and that's made it really hard for the fighters because a lot of these fighters aren't getting first they're not getting a call up because there's not that many shows Second, when they when they do a show, they have to quarantine. So they have to come in early, a week or two early, and basically stay in a hotel the whole time, eating the hotel food or whatever they can get shipped in. But even then, it's, it's risky. There's fighters that have gotten COVID while being in the bubble. Um, so a lot of the shows I've done, the past few shows I've done, have been from a distance. You know, you're, you're talking 50 yards away. Um, Chrissy Martin did have a show in Daytona, and that was social distance where she had seats of two and then back six feet, was two more seats. Then back six feet, two more seats. That didn't last very long. A lot of the people, when somebody won that they knew, kind, everybody kind of kind of rushed up that way. So it wasn't it wasn't the best. Um, I wear goggles, or not goggles, but um, safety glasses with a mask, or a hat, and with gloves when we shoot now. And we we you know you got to have the spray. You spray everything. You constantly clean up. I probably went to the bathroom to wash my hands about eight times during that fight. And then when you get out of there, it's like, just totally get everything clean. Right. You, know, you know, it's crazy, but, um, Floyd Mayweather, uh, one of Floyd Mayweather's guys, Lank, Lank, whoever he is, Lank, the King, he had a show in Daytona too. And they, they tried to social distance as well. And the problem is, is a lot of these guys make money off the gate. They don't have big TV contracts. So they have to sell the fighters, sell tickets. You know, if you're going to fight, you're going to get paid but you got to sell 50 tickets you got to sell 100 tickets and it's hard to sell tickets now because not a lot of people want to go out and you know go through security go through the arena be around other people so it's just it's it's weird it's nothing like what you and i shot in new york
0: right now i know everything's changed the world's changed from it but um yeah one of the questions i always get um from a lot of people you know how'd you get your start in, in photography and and You know what what motivated you and what got you to where you're
1: at i've always taken photos ever since i was a kid um the big change came i was on i went to i was on the yearbook staff in high school and i was shooting sports my mom bought me a camera and then i went to valencia college and i was um the assistant editor of the college newspaper we didn't have any sports team college was it was a community college so i would go out and i would shoot surfing or skateboarding kind of the, the the sports that are Not really sponsored sports, but they were popular at the time. Uh, Then I got into an automobile accident coming home from surfing one day. I flipped three times in a Volkswagen uh, Rabbit. And school basically kicked me out because I missed so much time after that accident. So I started school at Full Sail, which is a recording school at the time. It was a film school. And uh, from that, I became an underwater photographer. I would shoot surfing in the water. I would swim around with fins. I would shoot surfers. I went to the Bahamas, I went to Barbados. So I would do all that surfing photos. And um, that's how I got my start. You know, that, it was a hard sport to do. Surfing, swimming in the water with sharks is not for everybody, but for me it was pretty cool. So that's how I got started. Um, eventually I started my own video production business and got some larger contracts with McGraw-Hill and Elsevier, which were big book publishing companies. And they would print these big, thick books for medical, for firefighters. Uh, first do, uh, advanced life support, basic life support, all these books. And at the time, I would be shooting videos of how to save people, how to extricate people, how to save their lives. And all that video would go onto a little DVD and the DVD would open, stick in the back of the book so you could read the book. And then if you wanted to see how it was done, you'd pull the DVD out, put it in and watch it. Well, you can't have a book with just text. So I had to start taking photos. So if somebody was going to take the jaws of life and cut something apart, we'd have to do it with still photos and video So I set the video camera up, hit record, and then shoot still photos of it. It was even better when I realized that paid extra. It wasn't just the same. The photos were an extra money. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to start taking more photos. And the publishing business is basically how I got into shooting photos. Nice.
0: Now, now, with the uh, videography that you do, mm-hmm. um, you were nominated for a couple Emmys too, correct?
1: Yeah, when I first started in Fort Myers after I, I was diving, um, we got nominated for the Water's Edge, which is a there was a one hour show on the Bahamas, and I did some of the a lot of the filming on that, so we won an Emmy for that. We won. Um, I went to Alaska with Ali McGraw; she's real famous. Google her, look her up. And I spent 10 days in Alaska with her and that show got nominated for an Emmy and we lost to Oprah Winfrey, who was doing a show on AIDS at the time. AIDS had just started and this was a very informative show that she did. So we lost to her, which is fine. Um, And then most recently, uh, Tara and I submitted a yoga show I did based on recovering from my brain tumor and that got nominated for an Emmy and uh, we didn't win, but we still got nominated. So I'm pretty fortunate. I have a really, I've had a really good career. I just I wish it would start picking up again. This COVID's knocking me down.
0: Yeah, we're getting there. We're getting there. Um, listen, plug yourself, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Give us
1: your um, – uh... You can follow me on Instagram at PhotoAlexM. It's at F-O-T-O-A-L-E-X-M. And that's pretty much the main one. You can just do AlexMenendez.com is my website or instinctfilms.com it's the same website so you can do that but um yeah man i just just want to get back on this horse i want to start shooting again we just got denied uh credentials tonight for usa men's soccer the super bowl's in a week i've got a week of game credential but they haven't given me a game yet so i'm not sure if that's going to happen due to covid uh nascar just told us sorry can't come back to daytona 500 this year again very limited photographers i'm talking you're going from about 130 photographers down to maybe 12. Wow. So we just got to get through this and, um, you know, just do our best, try our best. I know you're, you're, you're getting ready to start getting some work again, hopefully.
0: Um, Hopefully, you know, I, I, again, pro sports up in um, New York is pretty much, you know, non-existent. I mean, you know, you do have basketball, Um, there is football, but like you said, they're, they're limiting, you know, photographers to, you know, five to ten maybe if you're lucky um you know high school down you know no high school sports although we did did just did just get the approval from the governor i saw that show um, that they can actually start um tomorrow with practices which we're supposed to be getting 18 inches of snow tomorrow so um i don't think they'll be practicing but uh you know listen thanks for coming on i appreciate it Guys, check out Alex Menendez on all his insta, you know his Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, Alex, thank you very much. I appreciate it.
1: Uh dude, I appreciate you having me on, and uh, best of luck to you. I, I I love this this. I don't know, is it a podcast?
0: Well, it, it we're doing a video, but it's also you know, we'll pull we'll the audio. We'll make it a podcast as well. Um, you know what? It gives people insight what happens. You know, like I like the title says, behind the lens. You know. How do the pictures get to where they're at? And, you know, all that type of stuff with the average person just doesn't see. You
1: know, awesome. I mean, I I appreciate that. I appreciate the time. Um, Any photographers out there that are coming up or want to be a pro photographer, um, do your own thing. Don't just copy what somebody else does, because that's really boring. If you want to be unique, be yourself.
0: Absolutely. Thanks, everybody, for joining Behind the Lens with Alex Menendez.